We are back. This is Rob Older with Red Sky Radio. Okay, we're back with the story dealing with Ilhan Omar's district and a particular town there that's voted recently to ban the Pledge of Allegiance at the start of the city council meetings in order to be more welcoming to an increasingly diverse community. That's what they've said. So let me ask you, how welcoming do you want to be to people who hate America and refuse the Pledge of Allegiance? How welcoming do you want to have uh, to, for those people who, if imported uh, from Somalia and other places, who are stuck with this fascination on a false religion called Islam and Sharia law like Omar Shmomar here, how welcoming do you want to be to people who hate this country, who want to take what we have built and steal from it, destroy it, and recreate it in the name of Muhammad or whatever? How welcoming do you want to be? You see, the United States has always been a country of immigrants, but the immigrants, notwithstanding the diversity of language and ethnicity and customs, there were certain commonalities that were a requirement. You took some a measure of civics to be become a, a citizen, and you learned the Pledge of Allegiance, and you said it. But if people won't say the Pledge of Allegiance, to this country, why on earth would or should or are we admitting these people? Look, Ilhan, pack up your 47 black scarves and get your sorry rear end back to Somalia. We don't want you. We don't need you. And in fact, we need you gone. All right. Well, why the, the media continues to cover for this lady all the time. And. You know, she just came out and admitted, frankly, that she lied uh, a few years ago. She had this thing where, what, five years ago, she said she was in court. She said, quote, there was a sweet uh, old African-American lady who was detained for a weekend for stealing a $2 loaf of bread to feed her starving five-year-old granddaughter. She said, I couldn't control my emotions, as supposedly Ilhan doesn't surprise me. She can't control anything. She's just one more Jew hater. All the Jew haters are in the Democrat Party. She's just one more Jew hater. People say, oh, there are people that don't like Jews that are Republicans. I'll tell you, none of them have been elected to Congress. All, those that are, the, all the Jew haters in Congress are on one political side. Fact. She said, I couldn't control my emotions. And so she let out this expletive. However, the city officials have come forward and said, that they're not allowed to arrest people for shoplifting and that there's a likelihood of violence or further crime. So apparently, this sweet old African-American lady was not a sweet old African-American lady if, in fact, she was, there is was a likelihood of violence or further crime from this woman. They also said shoplifters are sentenced to attend a three-hour class. They are not jailed. So what's her response when she finally gets called out on this? She said, I may have flubbed the facts. Maybe she did have a prior arrest, end quote. Well, continue the quote. I'm not sure. The details might not all have matched, but that's what I remember, end quote. So what she's saying is, who cares really what the facts were? I'm going to remember what I remember or misremember what I want to misremember, to quote Brian Williams, because it made my point to the Rockland High School kids that there's this fundamental injustice in America, and I will lie through every orifice of my body if I have to, to make a point that doesn't really exist. Get this woman out of here. Well, not to be outdone, Kamala Harris, uh, well, I might, I, I need to, back up already before I go into this story. I said about six to eight months ago, several times in this program, you probably have no reason to remember this, but I said of all the candidates for president, no one concerns me more than Kamala Harris. She is the female version of Barack Obama. She is going to get votes she doesn't deserve because people will vote for racial reasons and I mean that on black and white side, white people like to say, hey, I voted for so-and-so, that to prove that they never had a racist thought in their, in their life. Uh, they'll vote for her because she's female. This woman is wicked. She is another Jezebel of the nature of Hillary Clinton 
and then some, and then some. So she's giving a speech, the most racist speech I think I have ever heard in my entire life. She was speaking at the Essence Festival in New Orleans. She said that she would promise to invest $100 billion in housing assistance for black families as part of an effort to increase minority homeownership and close the racial wealth gap. Okay, she's going to invest $100 billion just for blacks. So who pays for that? Whites? I mean, is this, a, is this a form of reparation? Well, I guess other wealthy blacks pay for it. She goes on to say, a typical black family has just $10 of wealth for every 100 held by a white family. So we must right that wrong. And after generations of discrimination, give black families a real shot at home ownership, historically one of the most powerful drivers of wealth in our country. First of all, we have absolutely no idea she is correct in that, and the media will not challenge her because she's just one more darling of the left, and she wants to lie like Hillary and everybody else on the left. She can because they'll let her get away with it. So she says we must right that wrong. Well, let me ask you, what is the wrong that needs to be righted for the white family that has only $10 of wealth for the 100 held by some other white family or Hispanic? I mean, I will tell you there are more $10 white families than there are $10 black families, just by sheer numbers. I mean, if you haven't traveled through Appalachia, you'll just see You'll see denizens, if you will, just huge swaths of very, very, almost unbelievably poor whites. So why are they why are they in the ten dollar bracket? Because of historical discrimination by other whites that are worth a hundred bucks for their ten. First of all, this is so ridiculously, egregiously, blatantly unconstitutional. I can't believe this woman ever has has a gall to call herself a lawyer. She was a crappy, and I mean that seriously, a crappy attorney general in California. She enforced the laws she wanted to enforce. She didn't enforce the laws she didn't want to enforce. And I, I could prove that up easily, but I don't have the time. But not only is it unconstitutional, I mean, think about it. Suppose there was a, uh, a bill that came out that said uh, we're going to provide um, uh, $100 billion of housing assistance to, uh, white, uh, to white families, exclusively to white families. Come on. How ridiculous. This is so ridiculous. You want another Civil War, Cammy? You got it, baby. And I got to tell you, there will be blacks and whites on both sides of that civil war. The ones who have, are off the plantation and are not uh, selling their souls and their livelihood for a free cell phone that Barack was handing out. Those that growing, and I'm thrilled to say, growing mass of articulate conservative blacks from Candace Owens to you name it, Star Parker, go right on down the line. They don't get any press. They don't get much ink because the powers that be in the white-controlled left-wing media won't let the black conservatives ever get a get liftoff from the airport. Like the guy, I can't think of his name right now, Portland State University. Don't ever go to this school, PSU or PU for short. Don't ever go to the school. They started a diversity program. But when a guy came along and for the first time ever, they rejected a course that dealt with, among other things, black conservatism. They don't want to allow the program. They won't allow the program in the name of diversity. Well, I'll tell you, what could be more diverse in the political climate today than black conservatives? Problem is, they're smarter than the, the, the black leftists. They're more articulate. They will win a ton of blacks over. They'll lead a bunch off the plantation, which is why they are so dangerous to the white-dominated left-wing media and Democrat party. But number two, it's un, this is unbiblical. 
even if you let's ignore the racial thing, which is so ridiculously discriminatory, it makes me want to hurl. I mean, if this if she ever gets in and she posts, you know, let's find a state that will secede. I'm on my way. But look at take down this verse, Exodus 23, 3, Exodus 23, 3. It prohibits strongly, absolutely, without exception, prohibits favoritism to poor people. Just justice is justice. It's supposed to be blind, right? It's not supposed to decide, okay, well, you got more marbles than the other guy, so let's just give, we're going to make you give some of your marbles to the other guy. Doesn't matter how you got it, how honestly you got it. It doesn't matter what the reasons are that the other person is poor, some of which may be his or her own fault greatly. I don't know. But you don't show favoritism. Period. Period. Bible. Well, all right, no more of that. Let's get moving here. Jim Breslow, writer for Fox News, came out and said, that uh, I thought this was an interesting point. He wants to see the future Democratic debates have more questions where they have to answer yes or no. Yes or no questions. Do you like this? No. Yes or no? That's all you got to answer. So it was like raise your hand. It's kind of interesting. Raise your hand if you think it should be a civil offense rather than a criminal offense to cross the border without documentation. All but two candidates raised their hands, except the two <coughs> exceptions were the two Colorado Democrats. Hickenlooper and Bennett. So basically what these people are saying, the Demo keep this in mind, the Democrat, Democrat leaders believe it should not be against the law to evade the U.S. Border Patrol agents and sneak into our country. And you said, no, that's not what they believe because they said it would still be a civil infraction. Come on, a civil infraction is like a parking ticket. It's like going five miles over the speed limit or whatever. That's a civil infraction. Nobody goes to jail. There's no consequences. And in case in lost states like California, they don't even pursue those people anymore. That's why crime is rampant. Went up 12 percent in one year in California because they don't know they no longer prosecute a whole bunch of petty thefts now defined to be anything under nine hundred and seventy dollars. So in other words, it's just Ali Ali oxen and free. That's what it is. Now, I love Trump's response to that debate, he says, all Democrats just raise their hands for giving millions of illegal aliens unlimited health care. How about taking care of American citizens first? And that was, in, that was a, a tweet in response to the second question in the debate, which was, raise your hand if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. Well, they know, see, it's no longer illegal aliens. And it's no longer illegal immigrants. It's no longer undocumented aliens. It sometimes is undocumented immigrants. And as one of the people there said, they referred to them as undocumented Americans. How on earth do you get to be an undocumented? How can you be an American if you're not an American? But this is a stupidity that runs rampant and masquerades around as profound wisdom from the left. So this is what I thought. I would love, this will probably never happen, my wildest dreams and imagination, I would love to be part of the panel that does the interviewing at the next, or one of the Democratic debates. I would like to ask one of these yes or no, up or down questions. Maybe a couple of them. Just, say, just answer just yes or no, and then give them a question that calls for only a yes or no answer. Like such as, um, just raise your hand if you believe there's an absolute constitutional right for a mother to kill her innocent unborn child in the womb. Now they're gonna say oh, that's not a child. Who care? Un unborn human life. That's the way I'd just change it back. Is there an absolute constitutional right for mother her mother to kill innocent unborn human life in the womb, or uh, just innocent unborn human life? There's nothing they can disagree with that question. It is innocent, it is human life, and it's unborn. And they kill a child. Watch their eyes cross. Watch them foam at the mouth. Watch steam and other things come out of their 
their ears and maybe other orifices of their body, not because they're upset, but because they cannot process the question in a manner and quickly enough to come up with an answer to try to effectively outleft all the other candidates. How about this one? Oh, I love this one. I thought this up just before the program. Uh, right, uh, right. I'm sorry. Raise your hand if you agree with this statement. If you think that an innocent citizen or an innocent illegal alien, for that matter, should have the same right of force, gun-wise, against the police as the police have themselves if the police arrive at your home without a notice or warrant and kick in your door in the middle of the night. Now, it's kind of long, a little complex. Not really. Do you believe you should have the same right of force? I, in other words, police are carrying AR-15s. Should you have the right to have an AR-15 if the police kick in your door without notice or warrant in the middle of the night? And you are an honest citizen or you are, a, in this case, an illegal alien? Throw it out there. Make more steam come out of their ears. Oh, it'd be so much fun. As Tucker Carlson says, the Dem Democratic Party has now and officially become a religious cult. And that indeed is true. So with that all in mind, I want to get to the first story, the first item of something that bothers me tremendously. The Christian compromise, or people who call themselves Christians, positions of leadership, where you might be able to find these individuals in the Bible. And then we're going to move on to the issue of the child abuse and child sex abuse. What is going on, what the Bible says about it, and what should be done to those that are convicted of it. But the first piece comes out of California. Gee, what a surprise. It's a resolution moving its way through the assembly. It will be passed. It will be passed by the Senate, too. And the resolution urges counselors, pastors, churches, educators, and others to avoid supporting historic Christian view of sexual ethics. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second because... Red Sky Radio, though it wasn't called Red Sky Radio initially, uh, we've been on the air for coming up on 15 years. And in the very first year of the program, I said the Trojan horse is a homosexual movement because at that point they had a bill that would allow for domestic partner relationships in California for those who are 62 and older. And people, even including religious people, would say, oh, what is it harm? Just, just let the queers have what they want. Who, how, what damage can they do at 62? I fought against that militantly. I said, you're letting the camel's nose in a, in, into the tent. There'll be no, st if you don't pick a place on a moral spectrum to take a stand, you will lose the ability to articulate a definitive place to take a stand anywhere else on that spectrum. In other words, once you compromise, you lost the ability to stop compromising because you can't you don't you don't have a scriptural basis to root yourself into and onto without admitting that you screwed up when you compromised earlier. So you just keep compromising. And you had spread from 62-year-olds, and yeah, everybody can have domestic partnerships, then queer marriage, and then queer adoptions, and all of that kind of stuff. And now we have what we have, the LGBTQRCUVWXYZ agenda. All the abominations and debauched activity that they want to append by adding another letter to that moniker to reflect something else that somebody is feeling terribly guilty about, wants to feel good about, short of repenting and asking Jesus into their heart, so they try to affirm that behavior which God calls an abomination. But here's the problem. This was all very predictable. Look, I make some predictions are wrong. This prediction I made 15 years ago, it's dead on. Call it prophetic if you want. I said, look, back then, you pastors, everybody else, whether what at, at every stage, there were a lot of churches that did not participate. 
Jim Garlow's skyline in San Diego, there were a few that stood up and they were notable for their involvement. There were a number of black churches that were notable for standing up for biblical marriage. There were a number of Mormons that stood up. Weak in the link was certainly the main line denominations, and frankly, a fair number of Pentecostal churches, the pastors just kind of weaned out and determined that, hey, they're not coming after me. I don't have a reason to get into this, and maybe I lose parishioners. It might affect my pay and my pension and my, my popularity and what have you. So they didn't get involved. And my warning at every stage of incremental pushing of the queer agenda, I said, look, if you don't get involved, you are giving up the ability to have some natural allies in this fight, which if they get wiped out in the next piece of legislation, because the legislation exempts the church, exempts the pastors, and you don't get involved, there'll come a day when you are the last ones to take out. And the homosexual movement has made that very clear. They're going to come after you incrementally. And last thing to take out is the church, because the church is what has stood up, but it's not been standing up against this travesty of, of immorality that's flooding this nation. And there's going to be no one to stand with them. None. And that's exactly where we are. So they will come after you. Now you have... The California legislature, the legislature telling pastors to knock it off with his biblical view of Christianity. Why can't you be more accommodating? Why can't we have some dialogue? Well, it's interesting, the dialogue the left always wants is sort of like uh, Tobias and Sanballat in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah said, hey, you know what? Get lost, you guys. I got no, you got nothing to do with this work here in Jerusalem. You're against us. You're against the, our religion. You're against the wall. I'm not going to come down off the wall and talk to you. Why should I? And they said, oh, come on. Let's go into the temple and we'll have a little, little, little chit-chat. And we'll talk about things. Why waste time? See, the left tries to sucker Christians into, can't we discuss it? Well, the minute that you begin to discuss it, you have given them a measure of credibility they don't deserve, and they will force you because the most Christians are too weak need to stand a strong stand in the face of personal interaction with the enemy. Even Jezebel didn't approach, I'm sorry, even Jehu didn't approach Jezebel directly. He never said a word to Jezebel. He just said to the two eunuchs, who's for me? Hey, you there for me? Throw her down. Throw that old bag down. They didn't say that. Those are my words. But he wouldn't address her. Not going to engage in a discussion that nothing can change. And yet, it has been the homosexual environment that continues to bruise, battle, pummel, sue, um, you know, intimidate the right. And then they claim, why don't you discuss it? Why don't we just, can't we come together and discuss? Why, why, why do, we, do we have to have two sides? They don't want to come over. They're the ones that continue to battle and attack. Why should we be changing? And yet we are called upon to come to the table and talk when they have been incessantly, like a, a, a march of, of termites, been undoing the moral and social fabric of this country. Now, the really, really sad thing about this is that notable among the supporters of this perversion to encourage the pastors to knock off anything that would convict queers of their sin is Kevin Manoa, former head of the National Association of Evangelicals. And he is now, if I'm not mistaken, the current chaplain of Azusa Pacific University, a once- once notable great university, APU, which might stand for something like Accelerated Putrefaction University. I don't know. Because, that, because when it comes to sexual ethics, this school's been going down a rat hole, and they've been doing it themselves. They're flushing themselves down the rat hole. Manoa went and spoke to the assembly in favor of this. And you know what his defense was when he got called out? 
His defense was, I didn't go there as a chaplain of APU. I didn't go there as representing APU. I went there on my own and representing a group of pastors. In other words, I wasn't sinning and compromising the Christian belief here on behalf of the school. I was sinning and compromising on my own and on behalf of some other loser pastors. That's what I get out of it. And he said, we passed this resolution so that it headed off the passing of a bill. Oh, come on, Manoa. Are you this stupid? Or are you evil? Or what's the ex explanation? Are you that gutless? I'm not suggesting that they're mutually exclusive. I mean, are you turning into the Neville Chamberlain of Christianity in California? You think that appeasement and compromise will somehow win them over when the last 20 years of queer politics in the state of California has proved just the opposite, that the Christians continue to either exclude themselves from the debate or continue to compromise, thinking that, oh, we just give them uh, domestic partner relationships at 62, they'll be happy. Oh, we just give them uh, domestic partner relationships at any level. Oh, we just give them queer adoption. Oh, we just give them, they'll quit. No, they're not going to quit. That's what I've been saying for 20 years, Kevin. Get a brain. Get saved. I don't know what your problem is. But you are a real disappointment. And I'll tell you the passage. I hope this doesn't apply to you. But listening to what you have said in your alleged defense, that somehow conceding and advocating a resolution to for Christian pastors to knock it off, somehow heads off a bill. Come on. We are not that dumb, Kevy baby. But you sound like the, the, the ones that are described in Jude chapter 4. For there are certain men crept in unnoticed and unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Isn't that something? Is that talking about you? Talking about you? Yeah, maybe we are talking about you. I don't know. Listen to what he said. He says, The call to compassion and caring treatment is consistent with our deep desire to reflect Christ in all we do. i got to stop right there. The charlatans in the church always use Jesus Christ, the wording, abundantly to somehow seemingly cleanse their effort or legitimize their mission. Quoting again here, though we start from differing points regarding human sexuality. Oh, no kidding, Kevin. Like one is Antichrist and one's a Bible. This call to compassion resonates with the heart of Jesus in relating to everyone. What call to compassion? To just throw in the towel? So, you know, here's a question. So what would Jesus do with a tranny? The call to compassion. What would the, what would Jesus do in a call to compassion with a tranny? Would he chew him out? No. Would he rebuke him? No. You know what he'd do? He'd cast the demon out. Kevin, get a clue. Rob Walter, Red Sky Radio. We'll be right back. Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter is a listener-supported program. Please know that 100% of your contribution goes to pay for airtime so that as many people as possible are able to hear that the Word of God has answers to every meaningful problem and issue in life. No one gets paid a salary at Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter, but in response to your support, we pledge to bring you the most timely and critical information you need to help make informed decisions in this age of media bias and a growing hostility to all things Christian. Your partnership makes you one of the watchmen on the wall with us, as described in the book of Ezekiel. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you.
This is Rob Walter with Red Sky Radio. You know what? I've got to say one more thing about Manoa here. So I don't know if it's Kevin Jude versus four Manoa or not. God knows if he's one of these that have crept in to, to and turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness by supporting a resolution to encourage further dialogue and for pastors to sort of knock it off with their biblical emphasis on sexual purity. Because APU has compromised on this before. And I will tell you, don't send your child to that university. Don't send that school a stinking dime. I got a son that graduated from him. He's not sending them a stinking dime, and he's telling others to not send anybody a stinking dime. And that guy needs to lose his job, in my opinion, because he's he's ill-qualified. In fact, it's not a case of nonfeasance. I think it's a case of malfeasance based upon what he said. Because he's he, he wants to change he says he wants to change the tone of the subject for the necessity of greater dialogue with those who will hold opposing views. Look, as I said, dialogue with those who hold opposing views opposed to the Bible is a wasted dialogue, man. You're flirting with the enemy, and it tells me, you do you have something to hide, Kevin? Is there something going on in your life that you're trying to hide here? Is that the issue? Are, are you so enamored with, with some sort of pat on the back from the queer community that you, you're just caught up in wanting to gain some measure of, of, of favor? while you help send a, a otherwise historically good school into spiritual oblivion, and you, you will be held accountable. Not only do you not enter in, you keep others from entering in. Do you go around uh, now trying to make others twice a child of hell here, as it says of the Pharisees who held unbiblical views, which you do think, what, what are you going to discuss other than just going in there and quoting Leviticus? Hey, man shall not lie with mankind as with a woman. It's an abomination. God ex called for execution of sex certain sexual sin, viola sexual violators of his word. Well, Okay, I guess I made my point, huh? I hope I did. Well, it's it's relevant because in the UK, there's a gender clinic now there, which, um, you know what, I, I, I got to put that story aside or I'm not going to get on to the Jeffrey Klein or Je Jeffrey Klein. I'm sorry, Jeffrey Epstein matter. The deals with this issue of of pedophilia. Jeffrey Epstein... The, uh, who owns the island in the Virgin Islands. Interesting that it's called Virgin Islands, where it appears that scores of young children went and uh, through no fault of their own lost their virginity. Yeah, that's right. On the Lolita Express. Interesting how the media has treated this. First of all, I'm seeing pictures of Jeffrey Epstein with Trump 20 years ago. And Trump broke off his relationship with him in I think 2001 or 2002. So they don't like but there's but you see a, you see a young Donald Trump. Do you see a more recent Bill Clinton? Billy Bob Mr. Letch Clinton with uh this pervert? No you don't. Here was Clinton's defense yesterday. He came out and said well, a spokesman on his behalf said that uh, he said that that the the President Clinton only made four trips between 2002 and 2003 on his plane, and he had little interaction with Mr. Epstein. Now, the now the press presents this as absolute proof that Clinton had no involvement with Epstein, and therefore he's not out there fondling and doing with a whole bunch of other girls as he did with uh, Monica Lewinsky, okay? Because maybe, the, maybe Clinton's a pervert. We know he is, and maybe this would prove it. Well, l listen, he said, I only made four trips between 2002 and 2003. That's what they put out there. He doesn't say whether or not he made any trips before 2002, and after 2003, he just says, I've made, look, I made four trips. I only made four trips in 2000, 2002 and 2003. Only four on that plane. And that's probably true. Because now we have the documentation that's coming out that from different pilot logs on the Lolita Express, Bill Clinton was on that plane approximately 27 times, many times with a bunch of young girls and young boys, 
Understand 36% of all boys, 36% of child sex abuse victims are boys. They're not being molested by girls, by women. No, 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 no. It's queers molesting. 36% of child molestation of boys are 36% of all children molested are boys. If homosexuals are 2 to 3% of the population and it's not women who are molesting these young boys, guess what? It's 2% or 3% of the population that's committing at a minimum 36% of all child molestations and maybe a whole bunch of them on the Lolita Express and that precious little place in the Virgin Islands. What do you do with these people? What, do you, what does the Bible call f- to, to do with them? I want to give you a verse here because we're running out of time, a passage that you need to look up and just read for yourself, and it's in Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22, and it's verses 23 through 29. And it makes it very, very clear, and I thank Katie McCoy for some of the research on this. It's very clear that God hates women abuse, sexual abuse of women, rape of women, for which you were executed, and I would have no problem killing rapists as long as the proof requirements were met, because Scripture called for it. I don't have a problem for it with it, none whatsoever. And if it was be okay or demanded that under the right circumstances that rapists be executed, then why wouldn't it be, of adults, why wouldn't it even more so be appropriate to execute those who rape and sodomize children who are far more vulnerable than an adult female, taking nothing away from the savagery of an adult female rape? There's one place where the woman gets executed with a guy, and it's when the the and it's it, when it's it's just basically when an engaged or married in scripture an engaged virgin hooks up with a guy in the city they have sex it's an adulterous fornication situation they both got executed. But every other case. Where it happens out in the woods, it happens out in the field, which you'll realize, you'll see in that passage, Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 29, there is nobody to call out to. There's nobody to rescue that woman. And it's not called upon her to call for help as it was if, the, if there was an attack in the city and there were other people around. And I understand there might be times that even the woman might be so traumatized. But my point is, God speaks very harshly against rapists. In fact, there are three rapes referenced in Scripture, and every single one of them, whether it was Tamar, whether it was the uh, concubine, uh, that, uh, or it was, um, gosh, I can't think of the third one here. I, I don't have this in my notes. I got a lot of things I don't have in my notes. Every single one of them led to a civil war. So what do you do with these individuals? Well, Scripture states that there are times when you were to execute people. Homosexual sex, men are executed, Leviticus 18.22 and Leviticus 20.13. Adultery between a man and a woman. And the fornication, well, it certainly include raping and sodomizing little boys and girls bestiality, whether it's by a man or a woman, and a whole bunch of other sexual sins called for the execution. So what's the bottom line? If Jesus said, it's better that a millstone would be tied around your neck than you'd lead one of these little ones astray, Jesus is not only confirming the Old Testament that there is a place and time for execution, but there are some executions for some crimes that that would be even worse for that particular individual. It would be better if a millstone were tied around your neck than to, than to lead one of these little ones astray, than to sodomize one of these little ones astray. Well, the a millstone around your neck and being cast into the sea is a form of execution. And Jesus is apparently saying that form of execution would be better than the other forms which really you deserve for having committed that act. Bottom line, if Jeffrey Epstein is guilty of these crimes by, by the proof necessary for capital punishment, he should be executed. If Bill Clinton, Billy Bob Clinton, 
is guilty for these crimes, a crime, single crime, which it appears he very well might be, upon proof of, of, of that, President Clinton should be executed. And the same would be true of Donald Trump or any one of us. This is not a Democrat-focused punishment. Even though Democrats commit these kinds of crimes more than Republicans, it nonetheless applies to all of us. Rob Walder encouraging you to sit tall in the saddle world. Remember, you ride for the brand, the brand of Jesus Christ. God bless you. See you next week. During the next week, Kids Bible Time will be learning about the one time God judged the whole earth and everything with the breath of life died. Except one man and his family. Who were they? And why were they picked by God to live? Hello, this is Mr. Nick of We Kids. Find out more about this bad news, terrible judgment, and good news one man and his family escaped during the next We Kids. We are ending blindness caused by age-related macular degeneration, or AMD. AMD is the leading cause of blindness in people over 55, but with treatment, we can save vision for people with AMD. In some cases, we can reverse it. Help end blindness by calling the Foundation Fighting Blindness today at 1-800- KXX Paradise K280GL Chico and K283AR News this hour from townhall.com I'm Keith Peters The Democrat controlled house has voted 230 to 198 to hold Attorney General William Barr and Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross in criminal contempt of Congress. Democrats accusing the two of trying to hide the reasons for wanting to add a citizenship question to the census. New York's Carolyn Maloney. New evidence revealed in court and that I shared on this floor revealed that the real reason for the question to disenfranch- was to disenfranchise non-white voters. Kentucky Republican James Comer. If the Democrats can't impeach President Trump, they will instead hold his cabinet in contempt of Congress. The White House eventually abandoned efforts to add the question after the Supreme Court ruled its explanations for doing so were inadequate. Capitol Hill correspondent Wally Hines reporting. The Ebola outbreak in Congo has been declared an international health emergency. The declaration by the World Health Organization comes after Ebola spread into the Congo capital city, Goma. 
Dr. Robert Steffen is with the WHO. This is still a regional emergency and by no way a global threat. More than 1,600 people have died in Congo since August in the second deadliest Ebola outbreak in history. Director General Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus hopes the government of Congo doesn't overreact. Closing borders could have disastrous consequences for the lives and livelihoods of the people who cross the border. Congo's health minister resisted characterizing the outbreak as a health emergency. I'm Ed Donahue. Keep plenty of water handy as a lot of the nation is in the midst of a heat wave where temperatures are hovering in the 90s and triple digits. The hottest days, particularly on the East Coast, are expected to be Friday and Saturday with heat indices rising to between 105 and 110 degrees. On Wall Street, the Dow down by 116 points. More on these stories at townhall.com. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around... I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $25 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-607-3551. That's 800-607-3551. 800-607-3551. Or go to SelectQuote.com. Since 1985, we shop you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors. Not available in all states. Russian help in the Middle East. We hear the latest from the media line's Lawrence Rifkin. Israeli media reports say Israel and the U.S. called on Russia to help expel from Syria all Iranian personnel as well as proxy groups working for Iran. The request came in late June at a meeting in Jerusalem of the Israeli, American and Russian national security advisors. The selling point, it would help Moscow cement the gains it has made since intervening in the Syrian civil war in 2015. The war, which began in 2011 made it seem that the end was nigh for embattled Syrian leader Bashar al-Assad. However, intervention by Moscow and Tehran forestalled that. Israel, for its part, is concerned that by being in neighboring Syria, Iran and its proxies have opened an additional front against the Jewish state. I'm Lawrence Rifkin, Town Hall News, Jerusalem. News and analysis at themedialine.org and townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters in Washington. KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR, Chico, Yuba City, Marysville. One of the quotes from Triggers is, figure out what you mean to say before you say something mean. And then I say, slow down, sit down, and write down, like actually do the work. I mean, if we say we really, really value how we build our children up rather than tear them down, then find 15 minutes when you're not triggered and consider, with the Lord's help, give me wisdom, Lord, what's a better way to respond? That's Wendy Speak, and she's back with us today, along with her friend and co-author, Amber Leah. I'm John Fuller. This is Focus on the Family, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, it's so good to have Wendy and Amber back with us. Uh, the switchboard here lights up when they're on the broadcast, because people are calling saying, I want that book, I want that information. What did they say exactly about this? And we know we've hit the nerve when you yes. do that, when you react to what the guests are saying. We know we've delivered something good. And yeah. this is really directed for moms. Us dads can learn from this as well. And I think if you didn't uh, hear the program last time, get a copy, get a download. John will tell you how to do that in a moment. But um, it's worth it. If you want to be a better, a better spouse and a better parent, this is the content for you. And we covered so much yesterday about a child's temperament, um, those that are kind of uh, disrespectful, the back talk, real practical stuff. And today we're going to continue with more of those examples. Yeah, we'll really uh, dial into internal triggers, those things we bring to the party of parenting. I don't want to do that, John. <laughs> yeah, a little self-introspection Let's talk about their here. triggers. <laughs> well, we can talk about our, maybe our spouse's triggers. Yeah, How's that? Yeah, no. Um, get, get the CD or the download. Uh, get our mobile app so you can listen on the go. Uh, we've got those resources and the book, Triggers, Exchanging Parents' Angry Reactions for Gentle Biblical Response. 
responses. It's a great book. All of that at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Or if you need any help, our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Well, welcome back to Focus. Well, thank you for having us. <laughs> thank you very much. It's good to have you. Amber, I need that recap of what triggers are. Uh, just so we set for the audience what we're describing yeah. and talking about. So what are sure. external triggers and internal triggers? So triggers are all the things that set us off, make us angry and frustrated. We might call them a button. Yeah, they're our buttons. Button. They're, they're totally our button. Pressing our buttons, you know, making us irritated, whatever it may be. And there are lots of them, as every parent <laughs> knows. Uh, Wendy and I are talking about specifically 31 different ones in, in our ministry, but the external triggers are those things that your kids are doing, the things that drive you crazy. You know, it is the back talk. It's this sibling rivalry. It's the messy rooms that they have. It, all the things that just that they're doing that we think are reasons for us to get angry about. And then the internal triggers, those are the things that are a little more subtle. Sometimes they're harder to pinpoint. It's when we explode, when they've done something kind of minor, but we realize we've had no sleep for three days. It's the exhaustion. It's the, you know, times of, of transition. It's even our, our illness or trouble with in-laws can or spark may, our anger. Or maybe even kids. those things in your own childhood. Absolutely. That, yes. that really wounded you. Yeah, it's when, your past. Yeah. And those generational models for you, those come out and we weren't expecting them, but they trigger us. Here's an interesting one, and I think it's a good place to kick off, uh, given our mutual faith commitment to Christ, right? Yes. Um, a crisis of faith or even losing sight of your relationship with the Lord, you know, that discipline of just spending time with him, praying um, to the Lord, etc. It, it can be an internal trigger, right? That yeah. you're, you're, and it's not always a, a big crisis that we recognize has happened. Um, you know, every season of our lives, we have different challenges. And what I've seen in my own life from the time I was five when I put my faith in Christ because my mom told me that Jesus wants to live in my heart. I mean, that was the depth that's all you of my theology <laughs> well, at five. Okay. And that's then at start, nine, yeah. I was at camp and someone said, hey, you know, Jesus died for our sins. You have to ask for forgiveness and he'll forgive you your sins. And then he comes and lives inside of your heart. And I was like, oh, shoot, I missed that step. And to me, that's such a picture of how we keep growing in our understanding of faith. So sometimes we just get to a place of saying, I didn't know God, that I needed you so desperately in this season. And I, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, the verse that says, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance yes. and that endurance mm -hmm. will have its perfect result. You will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And so oftentimes our lack of faith is simply not knowing we needed faith. Wow in this season to that degree. And I remember going to the grocery store. This is after I had all three of my kids and I was in a crisis. Um, I was worn out. I was um, hormonally imbalanced. I mean, I was not doing well. And I'm sitting in the parking lot and I'm crying. I think the term is ugly crying. Because it's not pretty, <laughs> and you don't look pretty for quite a few hours afterwards. Husband's here to do something at this point, right? <laughs> but I was by myself. Right? The boys were at home, yeah. and I went into the grocery store, and um, I went up to the butcher's counter, and I, the the butcher didn't look. I'm at a me. little worried he already here. <laughs> and he just said, "Hey, what can I get for you?" And I said, uh, "Salmon for two adults and three kids that won't eat it." And he started <laughs> he started getting it, and again hasn't looked at me yet because I had just been ugly crying, so oh, yeah. I did not look that wonderful. And he says without looking up, "So how you doing today?" <laughs> Your eyes are all and I take puffy. a you know pause, and he looks up at me and sees, <laughs> and I said, "Not so great, but it's just another chance to trust God more." And I kid you not, he started crying, like projectile tears. Paul, he had a badge that said, hello, my name is Paul. Paul starts crying as he's, you know, wrapping up my salmon. And he says, do you think that's what they're for? Do you think that's what the hard days are for? And I started crying again. I'm like, yes, Paul, that's what they're for. <laughs> and so sometimes that crisis of faith is mm. that we need the nearness and the help of the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit in a way we have not needed him before. And that's why we can consider it pure joy, because guess what we get by the end of that crisis? Mm -hmm. We get more of Jesus. Amber, you had a little different story in that regard. Um, mm -hmm. You called it, I think, a legacy of generational sin. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I don't know if that environment was different from Wendy's drastically. Yeah. But... Well, you know, I grew up, my parents came out of a really strict religious separatist cult when I was growing up. My okay, brother that was... sounds tough. Yeah. <laughs> my brother was born in 
into it. I was born shortly thereafter, and um, my family was excommunicated very suddenly one night, and um, never saw most of their family ever again to this day. Oh my goodness! And so it, you know, being raised in this sort of unofficial uh, deprogramming wasn't the easiest thing. You know, my parents had a lot of dysfunction. You know, they didn't know what even the secular world was like very much, much less how to handle um, their own feelings of grieving and loss and and all of that. And I have such sympathy for my parents because, man, they did a, a great job considering everything that they came out of. And the Lord was so gracious to save them and and get them into a solid Bible teaching church by the time I was only a few years old. And so that was really my saving grace and really for all of us. But there was a lot of dysfunction and tension and, and anger and there was yelling and there were a lot of things that were tumultuous for me growing up. But because I knew the Bible so well, I understood what my life was supposed to look like as a parent when I became a parent myself. But then I started struggling with a lot of those same things. And it seemed like it was this sort of generational dog on my heels, you know, that I couldn't kick away or get rid of. And I I was really agonizing over that, you know, that this is what I didn't want. You know, I wanted something different for my children. And the Lord was so kind to me that he allowed me to just really have a, a moment with him when my kids were real young. My husband had left for work and I just said, Lord, I don't want to be like this anymore. This has to be the last day that it's this bad. Maybe tomorrow won't be perfect, but it needs to get better. And so I really just had a conversation with the Lord where I yielded, um, not to perfection, but to the Lord perfecting me mm-hmm. little by little. And that was a turning point in my life. Mm-hmm. And now it's just such a joy to me that I get to share that hope with others because I know it's possible, even if there's a generational sin or a generational pattern or model that you've experienced growing up. And the thing that's so critical to know is that there is no generational sin that is a match for the God of all generations. He is our God. He is over it all. He is able and he will help you. And my story really is proof of that. Yeah. Wendy, let me turn it to you because you also have experienced depression that's not unusual for for moms. I mean, right. many moms postpartum and all mm. kinds of things. It's very, very common. Speak to that because even as a as a woman, a believer in Jesus, you're going to encounter these worldly pitfalls, and that certainly would be one. And my wife sure. Jean is right there with you, and she's gone through those struggles as well. But speak to how uh, you climb out of that mess and how you rely on God to yeah. help you. You know that term climb out of the mess um, or climb out of the pit. You right. know, it's a, it's a real common term. And yet God's word says that when we cry out for him, he reaches down and he lifts us. That's better. Us. I and, like that better. And yeah. that really I'll is, lift you out. Yeah, yeah. I will put your feet upon the rock um, in a spacious place. I will give you a firm place to stand. And it goes on to say, and I will put a new song in your mouth, a hymn yeah. of praise to our God and others will hear and see and put their faith in him. And that to me is my depression story testimony, which is where he took me from and where he brought me to. And every time I share it, I just feel like that's the new song in my mouth. And I also love the idea of if he replaces our old song, this depressed lamentation, um, how did that song sound with my children? Mm. When I was in the midst of so much soul sadness, what were my words like? I did not, we talked about this briefly yesterday on the broadcast, that sometimes when we're having an internal struggle, the kid will come up and do something that's just childish, but what it is is his or her behavior is the straw that breaks the mother's back, and depression can feel so weighty that anything that's just childish Mm -hmm. breaks the mom's back. Yeah. And so I think I had to get to a place first where I recognized that depression was not a sign of that I wasn't spiritual enough. I think that that's a false theology is, but God, I'm abiding in you. You're abiding in me. Your spirit should look more like this in my life. Why am I still sad? Where is the joy? And the Lord just spoke to me and said, your body your hormones, your life experience. This is hard right now. You need more of me. I will bring you out. You keep calling to me. You keep eating healthy foods. You don't need caffeine. You don't need sugar. You need good sleep. Um, 
You need intimacy with your husband. You need a walk around the block. And so as I was pursuing my relationship with the Lord, trusting him to lift me out of the muck and the mire, I was also doing things. I was learning to do things. And this is very hard. We actually, Amber and I, just last night, we were talking about how hard it is to prioritize taking care of ourselves physically. Mm -hmm. because, And it's hard to talk about because this isn't about if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. This isn't about a mani-pedi. Not that there's anything wrong with having a manicure and pedicure. But this is about (laughs) how come I can get my children in for their dental appointment, but not myself. I can feed them their multivitamins, but not my, my own Right. Um, so I found that for me, physiologically, I needed to take care of myself to be emotionally stable. So I went to a nutritionist. I went to a naturopath. I had some supplements. I spent a lot of time in God's word and in prayer. He did the lifting. But physiologically, I also started taking better care of myself. So everything felt better. I felt How better. long of a journey was that? You know. 